flames are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. podcast for the AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. And as most of you know, uh, you know, a typical episode of the Fire and Water podcast involves uh, me sort of muttering and running my words together and shag uh, mispronouncing uh, words. Um, but we're not going to do that this time. This, this episode is going to be entirely devoted to an interview Shag did in 2009, late 2009, with the legendary Jerry Conway, who is, of course, the co-creator of Firestone, the nuclear, nuclear man. And Shag and I decided that, uh, you know, both having run, run blogs and reading blogs over the years, that, um, you know, a lot of posts, once they're more than like a month or two old, they're sort of gone forever. You know, no one really knows what that older material is all about. So we figured a lot of you hadn't heard this interview. It's fun to, for me to listen to it again. It, it is, it's great to hear from Jerry and uh, Shag manages to not embarrass himself too terribly. So um, Shag did want to mention, um, see, I have to do it because he's off at the beach and enjoying life right now, that this it was recorded in late 2009, so it was before Blackest Night had concluded. So at that time, Firestorm's future was very much up in the air. So um, we, of course, know what's, what's happened since, but just take that into consideration when you're listening to the show. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the talk, and hope to see you um, back for the next episode. Thanks, guys. Oh, and uh, feed the flame and ride the walrus or whatever. Hey folks, this is Shag from FirestormFan.com. I've got a special treat for you, an interview with Jerry Conway, Firestorm co-creator and the man that wrote Firestorm's adventures for nine years. Jerry agreed to this interview for FirestormFan.com and was incredibly generous with his time. The interview goes about 80 minutes, so I've broken it up into two chunks. We'll be listening to about 50 minutes today, and the other 30 minutes will be posted later this week to FirestormFan.com. 
first half covers things like coming up with the idea for Firestorm, a never-before-revealed fact about Professor Stein's creation, working with artists Pat Brodrick and Raphael Kayanin, Jerry's thoughts on Firestorm's costume, the DC implosion, how Killer Croc was almost a Firestorm villain, why he eventually left the Firestorm title, and much, much more. Jerry was absolutely wonderful to talk with. I think you're really going to enjoy his insightful and often funny thoughts on Firestorm. If you like the interview, be sure to stop by firestormfan.com and let us know. Now, enough of me rambling. Let's get to the interview. I'm here with uh, Jerry Conway. Uh, Jerry Conway is an American writer of comic books and television shows. He's best known for co-creating the Marvel Comics character The Punisher with artist Ross Andrew and scripting the death of Gwen Stacy during his long run of The Amazing Spider-Man. He's also known for scripting the first major modern-day intercompany crossover, Superman vs. The Amazing Spider-Man. Jerry has written significant runs on comic books such as Spider-Man, Justice League of America, Fantastic Four, Superman, Iron Man, Detective Comics, Avengers, and, and many, many more. He was uh, one of the more prolific comic book writers during the 1970s and 80s, and he was even the Marvel Comics editor-in-chief at one point. He also wrote for and produced uh, such TV series as Law and Order, Diagnosis Murder, Father Dowling Mysteries, and many more. If you're new to comics and aren't familiar with Jerry's work, just think of it this way. He was the Jeff Johns of the 1970s. <laughs> he, he wrote everything, and it was all brilliant. <laughs> well, Jerry recently – go ahead. I, I'm, I, I'm flattered beyond, beyond words uh, to be compared to <laughs> Jeff, so that's great. Well, you were Jeff first. <laughs> Jerry recently returned to comics after almost a 20-year absence. Uh, he wrote a very insightful miniseries entitled The Last Days of Animal Man, which you should still be able to find in stores now. Jerry, along with artist Al Milgram, also created the character of Firestorm the Nuclear Man. Firestorm was very successful for DC, and Jerry stayed involved with the hero for about eight years. That's the work we're going to be talking about today. Now, Jerry, I can't thank you enough for spending time uh, just talking to me and, and, and giving this interview for the uh, people that read FirestormFan.com. Well, I'm happy to be here, and uh, I'm flattered, as I say, that you, you want to talk about it. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I actually, I, I first found the character, um, believe it or not, on the Super Friends cartoon. <laughs> I, uh, I know, it's not the most auspicious place. To oh, listen, I'm, I'm happy with that, however anybody finds him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ran right out of the store after watching the first episode that Firestorm was on, and I picked up Firestorm 28 and issue 30. Those were the two I could find. It took me forever to find 29. I don't know why, but picked up all the back issues, and I just, you know, it was, it was great to find that character when I did. It was... It, it was early enough in the series that I felt like I could get in on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, youthful appeal, and he was funny, and the dual identity. It was really neat to see Martin Stein, an older character, you know, running around as a superhero. Yes. Really <laughs> Much, uh, and, and very unwilling to do so, which I, which I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> I loved the interplay between Ronnie and the professor throughout the series. That was fantastic. It's, you know, it seems like every issue there, there's some comment of something like, you know, what do you need now, Ronnie? Or, or you better have a good reason for this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I kind of conceived him to, to a small degree as, uh, uh, and I don't think I've ever me- ever mentioned this to anybody, but I, I thought of him as Julie Schwartz. Uh, <laughs> he kind of actually looked a little like Julie. You know, he was, he was kind of balding and uh, bespeckled as Julie was. And he had a kind of, uh, I mean, Julie was one of these extremely smart, uh, very dry uh Older guys from a different generation, just like Martin uh, Martin Stein was, who nonetheless found himself surrounded by 
very young people who were very enthusiastic about work that he had probably wasn't I mean it's not that he wasn't enthusiastic about it anymore but 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 he had a kind of a jaded sense so I, I, I think uh, writing Martin uh, in some sense I was sort of you know doing a little tribute to Julie <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I had an opportunity to see him speak before he passed away, and uh, what a neat, neat man. Oh, yeah. Really... A terrific guy. Yeah. An extremely talented editor and, and uh, somebody who was a, a, a huge influence on my work over the years. Um, in some previous interviews, uh, speaking of Firestorm's creation, you mentioned that he was your attempt to do a DC version of a Marvel character. Right. Um, how did you... What was the germ of the idea for Firestorm, and uh, what were some of the Marvel traits you were trying to emulate? Well, I had, obviously I'd had a long association with Marvel through uh, many years of writing for them, and uh, I really enjoyed writing the Marvel material, and I particularly enjoyed writing Spider-Man, which was you know a, a, uh, a kind of an iconic, uh, youthful character who I identified with uh, to a large degree, and. and uh, during the period in which I was writing him. Uh, I started writing Spider-Man, I guess, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, and you know, I was kind of contemporary in age with Peter Parker and sort of shared some of his, uh, his feelings. Anyway, I wanted to get some of that back, and I, I, I wanted to write something at DC that uh, allowed me to do that, and there weren't that many young characters uh, available at DC. On top of that, DC was doing this, uh, w was trying to, to create uh, some new characters, and they had a, a new deal for creators that allowed us to gain uh, some ownership in the in the material. I mean, not ownership in the sense of a copyright, but we we we, we would participate in the uh, in any benefits that uh, accrued. So that was an inspiration. You know, I said, "Oh, yeah, it'd be nice to do." So combine that with this. Feeling that I had that there was room in the in the business for another young, uh, superpowered character, but I didn't want to do another Peter Parker. In other words, another guy who was smart, you know, and uh, you know, witty from a uh, from a from a really clever point of view, you know, and and had this had everything on the ball once he became Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, because he was sublimating his his inadequacies in his real life, I thought, well, what about about what if Flash Thompson, you know, the old uh, <laughs> uh, Spider-Man uh, uh, antagonist for Peter, had been the one to get the powers? You know, uh, what what if the the dumb guy, you know, had gotten the powers rather than uh, the smart guy? Uh, not to say that Ronnie was dumb, but you know, he was he was not a brain. Uh, which becomes obvious in the very first story when he lets himself get talked into doing something incredibly stupid just to impress <laughs> a girl. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Absolutely. He's not, yeah, he's just not the smartest, you know, guy in the, in the room. But I didn't want to have a dumb superhero. So at the same time, I wanted to have, you know, give him a side that, that, that was reflective and intelligent. And, and just as Peter Parker uh, represented what I was going through when I was writing him as a, as a young man. By the time I was writing uh, Firestorm, I was in my late 20s to early 30s, and I was more mature. And I guess I was at that point where I was starting to look back and reflect on some of the things that uh, seemed, you know, cool to me as a younger guy. 
So I was, I had this kind of dual mind going on, you know, where I was looking at it both as the young part of myself and the older part of myself. So that, you know, sort of popped into my head. Uh, and the final thing was, I was a fan, not as much as, say, Roy Thomas was, but I was a fan of Captain Marvel. And I always yeah. loved the idea of Billy Batson, you know, this kid, becoming Captain Marvel. But I didn't think it went far enough, <laughs> you know, okay. because once he became Captain Marvel, he was Captain Marvel. I thought, well, you know, what if Billy was still present? You know, I mean, what if you really got a sense that Billy was still there? So that gave me the thought of, you know, what if there was another persona floating over uh, over the superhero, you know, sort of commenting and acting like a Greek chorus, uh, you know, giving insights and uh, unwelcome advice. You know? so, <laughs> I, <laughs> so that was that was the, basically the gestation of it. You definitely kept it fun and lighthearted, mm -hmm. and and that was definitely in a time when comics were becoming more serious. Did you did you do anything different when you're writing Firestorm versus other titles to to keep it from getting dragged into the more serious or or I shouldn't say serious, but the, the darker you know well, era as I say, of comics? As I say, I was trying to do something that was fun from uh, it, to a, to a large degree. What I was doing with with Firestorm was trying to replicate the experience that I had had as a reader of the original Spider-Man comics. Because I picked up Spider-Man probably around issue two or three and ran with, you know, re read the, the uh, series, uh, you know, up until the mid to late 60s mm -hmm. pretty assiduously. And I was a, a very big fan of, of, of that fun uh, villain of the month, you know, a great new storyline, you know, the things constantly percolating, you know, the, the – and, and I, I had the opportunity with, with Firestorm because he was not tied into the DC universe in a, in a strong way to do that same kind of rediscovering, you know, a superhero from the beginning. Uh, and that's really what uh, I tried to do. So I tried to make it as fun for my uh, for the contemporary reader at the time, as I had exp as my experience of Spider-Man had been fun for me. So. It was definitely evocative of that, uh, as you said, villain of the of the month. I mean, there were so many interesting villains that came out every month. There, a lot of them had sort of tragic circumstances which led to their powers. Sure. It just, it, I definitely could see where Spider-Man was the inspiration for that. Yet it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a carbon copy by any. Oh no, no. I mean, it, well, it's own I'm, creature. Extra, absolutely. I mean, and I a lot of that is is due to the uh, uh, terrific artwork that I was blessed with, uh, and the artists that I was blessed with working uh, with. I mean, particularly, you know, obviously uh, uh, Pat Broderick, uh, who started. Well, who took over after Al Milgram? I mean, Al, Al was uh, obviously extremely important to the uh, cre creation of the book, but Pat, I think, is what made it a, a, a really solid, successful title for them for uh, for many months. And uh, then when Raphael came on, he also contributed quite a bit to uh, to the to the overall fun feel of the book. These guys Absolutely. weren't drawing like other Mar other DC characters. I mean, they were they were outside that uh, DC. Look, I, I I definitely agree. You also, you had the early on. I think uh, I didn't realize this till the other day, but George Perez's very first DC work was for you in a Firestorm backup in Flash. Yeah, isn't that weird? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I had, I mean, his yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I hadn't even realized that myself until recently. Yeah, so it's it's kind of fun. You know, I'd known George obviously when he was working at uh, Marvel. So. Mm -hmm. With him at DC was uh, a great opportunity. 
Now, you're talking about all the different artists you work with. Were there uh, some of the characteristics that the artist brought to the Firestorm? Where did any of them inspire you to change a character or a plot? And uh, did you write full script or plot first and the collaborative relationships with them? Uh, for the most part, I did uh, I did it Marvel style, you know, where we, where we plotted, uh, where the story would be plotted and then the artists would develop it. Uh, Pat and, and Raphael both had such different approaches. I'm talking about them primarily because they did the most work on the book. This is, again, not to sure. diminish Al's contribution at all because Al set the tone you know, for the book. Uh, but working with uh, Pat and with Raphael, you know, they both uh, uh, had different strengths and weaknesses as artists. I mean, Pat, Pat I thought, uh, you know, was a very dynamic uh, storyteller, uh, and uh, he had a kind of a fun quality to his work. You know, there was a uh, a lightness to it that Raphael didn't have. So the book sort of, I think, when, when Raphael took it over, it became a little darker and a little bit uh, uh, more intense in certain mm-hmm. ways. Uh, so in, to that extent, you know, the, 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 the artist influenced the direction of the books. Uh, you just when you're working with an artist, you and the artist are very much a team, uh, even if you're not necessarily aware of it, uh, because there's a kind of this unspoken communication going back and forth, like a like an unspoken conversation. Even if you're having a, a spoken conversation, there's also this subtext, you know, of, of what you're learning from each other in terms of uh, storytelling uh, and in terms of uh, the strengths and weaknesses that each of you bring to the material. So the artist will do things to try to cover my weaknesses uh, or will do things that work to my strengths, and I will do things that work to his strengths and cover his weaknesses and so on. So Fantastic. Did you, did you get a chance to... Um communicate with any of the artists during that oh yeah was sure it... yeah I, I knew I, I would talk with Pat on a I, I was also the editor of the book so I would I would be talking with Pat all the time uh, and uh, Raphael also uh, you know I brought Raphael onto the book uh, th- uh, through the ages of uh, Mike Friedrich who I think was at that time his, his agent uh, and my agent too uh, during a for a brief period there so working with both of them uh, you know, I talked to them, and we, we probably didn't communicate as much as I say communicated with uh, Ross Andrew when I was working on Spider-Man. But that was a different different time, you know, in my life, and uh, and my work schedule was different. I was writing tons of material for DC at the time that I was doing Spider-Man. Right. Um, you mentioned that you took over as editor um, during that first year of the Fury of the Firestorm title. How did that change things for you when uh, you? going from writer to writer and editor? Well, I had been kind of a, the writer and editor of my own work over at Marvel for many years, even, even though you don't, if the title of writer-editor didn't come into uh, uh, play at Marvel until Roy Thomas uh, quit as editor-in-chief and became writer-editor of his own books. Most of us who were writing titles were, in effect, our own editors. Uh, Marvel was publishing something like 50 or 60 titles a month during this period, and Roy was the editor, quote, you know, of all of them, which is ridiculous. I mean, he wasn't the editor, uh, but what, what, he was, what he was doing was he was the editorial director, and the individual writers were, in effect, the editors of their own books. Uh, we, we would run stories past Roy, 
in a general sense, and then we'd write, you know, like two, three issues, four issues, you know, without really getting a lot of feedback from him. I mean, he he would come in and maybe change things, you know, a line or two here or there, but it was it was not edit, editorial uh, oversight as it's conceived today. Um, so when I came over to DC uh, for about a year in the, the mid seventies. I was I was a writer editor, you know, of my own material, mm-hmm. and when I came back to DC, even though I wasn't uh, in the beginning a, a writer editor, uh, it was my goal to at least on ty- uh, you know a select handful of titles uh, to edit my own material because I I've, I was comfortable doing that and I, I didn't see any reason why, given my you know track record and my uh, perception you know my, my my ability to to do it you know why I would need you know, editorial oversight. Of course, we all need editorial oversight, but <laughs> that was my attitude at the time. Mm-hmm. So. Well, i um, going to change tactics on you for just a second. Uh, actually, I have a question from my um, 10-year-old stepson. <laughs> he's, uh, he's a fan of Firestorm. He's, uh, he's seen Firestorm in the Super Friends cartoon. He has a, cu- a couple of the action figures. And when he found out I was going to be speaking to you, he got very excited. And he made me promise him that I would ask you two questions for him. Okay. Uh, the first one is, why did you name him Firestorm? And I'm quoting him. Why did you name him Firestorm if he doesn't have fire powers? <laughs> he, he was very confused by that. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Firestorm, uh, the, the name actually ref- refers to uh, the aftermath of a nuclear blast. Uh, is a firestorm, and uh, so that was part of it. You know, I knew his powers were going to be nuclear, so I wanted a, you know, that kind of a name. Uh, and then, secondly, I had from the very beginning, when I first conceived the character, I had this image of this head that was on fire. So I wanted to tie it into that as well. Uh, but it's a combination of the of the two. I mean, a firestorm is the aftermath of a nuclear blast, and of course, a nuclear blast is what started uh, gave him his powers. Uh, and the fire is a reflection of, of his head, which is a giant, <laughs> which is a giant matchstick. Right. <laughs> kids Can't miss don't. It though. Yeah, kids don't try this at home. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've read. Talk about the most irresponsible it. character in the history of comics. <laughs> Next to uh, uh, Human Torch, you know, it's like right, God. right, that famous story with the kid in the gasoline. Oh, right. please! <laughs> oh, I mean the the horror. Oh, we don't want to see that happen. Absolutely not. Uh, one more question for my stepson. Again, quoting him: uh, Why did you have Firestorm join the Justice League of America? And, and the reason my stepson asks is because uh, we. we I'm, I, I try to be a pretty involved parent. I actually, you know, I get down on the floor. We play with action figures and do stuff okay. and. Whenever the Firestorm action figure comes out, he gets mad because Firestorm can do anything as far as he's concerned. And he's like, Firestorm doesn't even need the Justice League. Why would you have him join the Justice League? Well, because he's not terribly competent, you know. <laughs> you know let's be fair. <laughs> the, part of the thing is that he's a kid and he doesn't really know exactly what he's doing, so he does need mentoring. But from a practical point of view, uh, what actually happened there was I was writing the Justice League. And uh, after the Firestorm book was canceled, uh, you know, after licking my wounds for a few months, you know, I really wanted to bring him back. And I think I, I think the first place I brought him back was in uh, a uh, Superman team-up story of some kind. Absolutely right. And then, Comics Presents. Right. And then that led to, I, th- I, don't know if, I don't know if the Action Comics backup feature happened at that point or if we brought him into Justice League right away. 
but just uh, moving him into pre him into Justice League was a, was a tactical maneuver on my part to raise his uh, uh, profile and to, to show that he had popularity, so that DC would bring him back into uh, you know put put him back in his own book, and that and it worked. You know that's pretty much what the what uh, what did it. Uh, you know, it was a combination of those those things. I think you'd be very happy with that answer. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I mean, it's, as I say, it's two things. You know, for, one from a character point of view, he needs the he needs adult supervision, uh, or at least he did in that that persona. Uh, and uh, from a practical point of view, it was a it was a method of uh, of getting uh, getting him back to the to, in front of the readers. Uh, sort of a silly question for you. Uh, Firestorm's comic is obviously, I'm sorry, costume is obviously very iconic. I mean, you see him, you can't mistake him, and it's it's really classic. I mean, the way uh, that Al Milgram designed him. Um, however, comic fans have uh, mocked the puffy sleeves from. <laughs> What's your take on that? <laughs> well, uh, they weren't funny at the time. <laughs> uh, I, I think Al Al's thought was, and I and I think it was a smart one, was that you know we've we. We've seen all of these superheroes, and they had the same silhouette, you know, which was uh, – uh, the silhouette is, is, is uh, what you see when, when you just see the character from a distance. And if you think about all the, the, the superheroes that, that are out now, I mean, pretty much all of them, if you, if you just saw them in silhouette, looked the same, except for Firestorm, who, because of both the shoulder uh, flanges and the hair, the fl- flaming hair and the puffy sleeves, cannot be mistaken for anybody else. And that's deliberate. So uh, it's, a, it's a silly, it's silly, but... You know, it's a it's the puffy shirt. You know, the, the, Seinf- the Seinfeld episode. You know, you can't get away from it. Uh, we didn't we didn't mean it because uh, obviously we, we we did it well before the Seinfeld episode. Uh, you know, we also thought of it as the pirate shirt. You know, and things like that. Uh, okay, yeah. And it, and it goes back to a, to a degree. You can also say that it's it's very similar to uh, the original Green Lanterns uh, outfit because he also had a kind of a loose fitting. Uh, uh, semi-puffy shirt. You know, you're absolutely. I didn't think about that. You're absolutely. Mar- the way Marty Nodell designed him, it is kind of yep. uh, puffy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very loose, and uh, and it, and that also gives him a different, you know, iconic look. Absolutely so, true. Just something else. Just something else <laughs> that we try to draw on. <laughs> <laughs> now, looking over the history of Firestorm's publication, you wrote nearly every single appearance of the character from like 1977 through 1986. This includes the, both the Firestorm series, the flashbackups, the JLA appearances, DC Comics Presents, Brave and the Bold, and on and on and on. And it's something like 100 comics altogether. Yeah. Was yeah. that by design that you wrote all of his appearances, or did it just kind of happen that way? Well, it was my character. I wanted to write all of it. And, I mean, uh, I would have continued writing it if they, if they had let me. So, you know, it was, it was never my desire to, uh, to it's, it's not that I didn't think anybody else could do it it's just he was my character <laughs> right. I wasn't going to give him up <laughs> uh, was anyone asking was, was anyone asking to use him uh, you know there really weren't that many opportunities to use him outside of the venues that we were using him in uh, he didn't really fit into the regular DC universe I mean having him in JLA is kind of weird, you know, in, in, a, in a sense. I mean, it's, it's fits, it fits better now, but back then he was really odd for that, for that series. Uh, you know, he was, most of those characters were fairly mature, 
level-headed, uh, straightforward figures, you know. And here's this kid, you know, kind of bouncing around like like Snapper Carr, uh, <laughs> you know, with 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 a flaming head. So, I I think it was uh, other people probably didn't didn't really feel like they, that there was a way to use him, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of cross fertilization as there is now among the, among the uh, the different people working in different comics. Everybody had their own little fiefdom and was happy to to stay in it. Gotcha. Did you, uh, did you have any favorite issues or storylines from your time on Firestorm? I have favorite characters. Uh, I, I was particularly fond of Killer Frost. Uh, mm-hmm. I, used, I used her a lot, I think. Uh, I liked... Uh, uh, I, was, I was fond of uh, uh, Firehawk. You know, I thought mm. it was a neat development for him. Um... You know, I mean, the, the hyena was fun. The cycle. I mean, you know, there 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 were a lot of. Char- I mean, the the thing about about the way I was doing that book was that I wasn't trying to do, uh, memorable stories per se. You know, where where you were looking at it and and remembered a particularly clever twist or a particularly dramatic situation. I was trying to do a, like a continuing storyline with this kid. You know, who had these superpowers. And uh, so my goal wasn't to write a really terrific issue that you'll really remember. It was more like to write a really good year you know, that you'll remember. Mm. So that was that was the approach. Uh, and the different supervillains were ways to sort of punctuate that and to, and to give you a reason to pick up a different issue, you know, just to see who, what's this guy going to do? What's that guy? Multiplex, one of my favorite characters. I mean, <laughs> just the, the idea of this guy who, who's – Every time he he uh, copies himself, instead of becoming more powerful, he becomes less powerful. <laughs> I mean, it's like that's just great, you know. So the, the physics behind that's really interesting that you th- that you took the time to think that through. Yeah, well, I mean, it actually, was I think based on something that uh, that Len Wein had said to me uh, about uh, a car. The, uh, I think he had a character called the Carbon Copy Man. I believe he did. I'm not sure, but but he was saying, you know, that that realistically. Uh, with the carbon copy man, you know, every time he made a copy of himself, he'd get he'd get lighter and lighter <laughs> until he sort right. of just disappeared. And I thought, oh yeah, you know, I guess I think kind of, you know one of these guys who splits themselves, you know, because I think there was a, an X Men villain who who could do that, where the and then Duo Damsel. I mean, where does the mass come from? You know, it's like the mass would basically stay the same, so they'd get smaller and smaller. <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was the fun of it, you know. Just take it to its t- take these these iconic ideas and try to flip them on their head. I love that cover where all the little pint-sized <laughs> multiplexes are taking Firestorm down. Yeah, the punch. It's like Lilliput, you know, the Lilliputians. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. Now, were there any characters that you know you discovered after a while that you really didn't care for? Like maybe when you created with an intention, after a while you're like, oh, this character's not going anywhere for me. Yeah, Cliff Carmichael. I mean, he was a mm. one-note one sort of character. Uh, I don't think I really did that much with him after a while. Um, but you know, for the again, for the most part, uh, my focus was on uh, Ronnie and uh, and the professor. And, and their interactions, and everybody else was there primarily to, to provide a foil for that, you know, to some degree. Uh, you know, so the professor would have somebody he was interested in romantically, you know, and then that would provide a foil, you know, and then Ronnie would have someone, you know, and, and, and so on, you know. Uh, it was just 
having fun, you know, one, one issue after, after another, trying to keep it going. You did a sort of an interesting, I don't know if it was an experiment, but uh, with, with, the Fu- with the Fury of Firestorm Annual Number 2, it was an illustrated novella. And for those who are listening that have never read it, it was all text with just mm-hmm. a few illustrations on each page. I mean, there were no word balloons or anything. And this was a big departure for standard comics. Yeah. How, yeah. Did, you, how did you approach writing that? I have, yeah, I, I don't remember how it was received, and I have no idea why I did it. <laughs> Other than I was trying, again, to sort of change things up for myself, you know. Uh, I thought this would be kind of interesting. I think Pat Broderick and I were talking about it, and because uh, I think Pat was the one who did the art for that. Am I right, or, or was or was it Rafi? I'd have to, I'd have to go back and check. I don't honestly remember. Yeah, I think it was Pat because Pat was on the book for a couple of years. Um, but we were talking about it, you know. And I, I and the artist, you know, and I and I, I said, you know, it'd be it'd be fun sometime to 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 do this as a. Uh, uh, you know, as a storybook in some way, you know, uh, just just try try something a little bit different for both of us. And he he responded well to it, I guess. And uh, you know, I was editing the material, I believe, so it wasn't a there was nobody I had to ask other than you know talk to Dick Giordano, and Dick was always interested in doing something different, you know. So we did it, you know, and I. I I think it probably did well enough, but it was it was bizarre. It was strange to do. Uh, I was a I, I had written fiction, I had written novels and uh, short stories, uh, and I, I guess I wanted to uh, you know to try my hand at that again, uh, and that gave me the opportunity to do it. It was really interesting, I and mean, as as a reader too, it was very different and uh, and made for a very uh, interesting reading experience. You know, getting into the character in a different way through prose, which was mm-hmm. nice. yeah. So. This fan received it well. So. Well, good. I'm glad. That's that's what's important, you know, that somebody reads it and enjoys it. The uh, We've talked a little bit about the first volume of Firestorm that was canceled uh, during the so-called DC implosion. Yes. Uh, number, now, number six was never published for the masses, but a lot of that plot was incorporated into the backup stories in The Flash. And I was curious about, um, at the end of issue six, there was promoted for issue number seven, and I'm sorry if I'm getting totally fanboy on this. I'm just curious about these details. Number seven, it was promoted as uh, the next issue would feature somebody called the Reptile Man. You... <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. Think actually, the Reptile Man became Killer Croc. Uh, Did he really? Yeah, I think I think that's where that ended up because I wanted to do a, a reptilian villain, you know, of some kind. Uh, and when I when I was doing Batman, I was looking for something that would would be very physical and very dark, you know, and, and bring Batman down into an environment that uh, he, he wasn't accustomed to, which was, you know, underground, because he's a person who would be on the rooftops of places instead, mm-hmm. down in the down in the uh, uh, the sewers, and so doing a reptilian character seemed like a cool thing to do, and uh, I don't know where the name Killer Croc came from, but you know I'm very happy it did because it's one of my more successful characters outside of uh, Firestorm. The Firestorm and Killer Croc and Punisher are the three characters that uh, have the most media and uh, most ancillary, you know, usages. So it's kind of cool. I did, I did not realize Killer Croc was one of yours, and and now that you say it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I knew about your run on Batman, and. Hmm. Uh, and wow, I mean, what a character that has taken off as one of yeah. Batman's, you know, most recognizable rogues. That's great. Well, and I, I totally credit, uh, you know, the Batman uh, cartoon because uh, it's that's they they 
apparently pulled him into the the cartoon for their own purposes. You know, they needed it, probably very similar to mine. You know, which was you know put him in a different environment. Um, and because of that, you know, now he's like everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. I, all these toys, and I, I get, I, I, again, this is one of those characters that you got to, we got profit participation in. So, uh, very nice to have it happening. That's nice. Good. Um, now, when the DC implosion did occur, you were involved with a number of projects uh, besides Firestorm that were affected. Things like Steel, Vixen, Dead Man for Showcase, and Deserter, and I think there may be one or two others. How were you notified about the cancellation? How, how did it affect your career? Well, I mean, it didn't affect my career in a, I mean, in a day to day sense because I had a contract to write a number of pages a month uh, for DC, but it, 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 it was a a devastating blow uh, emotionally because I was very invested with a lot of this material. Um, I was very invested in, in uh, uh, you know, Firestorm, uh, a little less so in Steel, but I still, you know, was very passionate about it. And uh, I was looking forward to Vixen, although I wasn't happy with the original art that we got on that first uh, issue uh, by Winmore. I think it was Win Mortimer. No, was I don't remember who, who it was. Um, but, you know, these were projects that I was looking forward to doing, uh, and they all went away. And I think I, I think I got the call from, uh, my editor on Firestorm, Jack, uh, who was also the editor, I think on Steel, uh, Jack Harris, uh, to tell me about it. And that was not good news, not a good mm. day. Uh, I think it was really foolish, you know, but a lot of the decisions that get, got made at DC, uh, for many years were, were made not by people at DC thinking through what they needed to do, but by corporate uh, bean counters, you know, who said, oh, well, this is, you're spending too much money. We want you to cut back. Uh, so they ended up cutting back and I think really damaged DC's ability to uh, expand their marketplace share for a number of years uh, as a result. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know my DC history as well. Was it, was it owned by Warner Brothers at the time? Yes. Or was that? Yeah. Okay. DC was bought by. Uh, they were bought. What was the name of the company? There, there was a there was a company in New York City that that owned parking lots, uh, that uh, bought DC back in. Was it the late sixties? I think it was, um, and then they also bought. Brothers, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. You know, I'm not, I'm not absolutely 100 percent sure, but they, Warner's owned them, uh, or this company uh, owned them uh, from about the late 1960s on. Okay. And uh, Warner's, <clears throat> I think, before the Superman movie really took off, and then the Batman movie took off, never really saw DC as as the potential for the potential that it had. Uh, you know, they, they, it was sort of the bastard child. It was there. It was making them some money. They didn't really care that much about it. Uh, there were no, there were no executives who read comics or knew anything about comics. You know, today, a lot of executives in the film world have comic book uh, DNA. You know, I mean, <laughs> they've either grown up reading the comics or they're they're young enough so that they're familiar with the material from. Their, uh, their contemporaries, <clears throat> the, the perception at, at, at the corporate level 
was that this was a, I don't know, I, I'd say a, a, a not particularly worthwhile endeavor. And the idea of expanding the line to them just seemed like an unnecessary expen expense for no, for no real returns. They, could, they couldn't see that there would be any, any returns from it. Uh, because there weren't. You know, I mean, there, realistically, the whole superhero explosion into films, television, and multimedia, you know, only occurred in the uh, 90s, really. Uh, if then, you know, I mean, it, it, you could really argue it only took place in the last five, seven years. Uh, so I, I don't know that they were wrong, but they certainly cut the legs out from under us. Yeah, sounds like it, absolutely. Um, jumping forward a number of years there, um, what were the circumstances surrounding you leaving the Fury of Firestorm title? Well, um, I think I was getting burned out as a writer. Uh, I was having a, a, a number of writer blocks experiences. I'd been working in, in television, uh, not te in film, uh, as well as in comics at that point. This was the early 1980s, uh, mid-1980s. Uh, I was also having a price crisis in my personal life, and I wasn't writing up to my to my best, as far as I could tell. But beyond that, I wasn't really getting along with people, you know, at uh, you know at uh, the uh, the company. I mean, I was really unhappy with the people who were working with. I was working with editorially. Uh, and, you know, there was this general sense, I think, that there was a time for, uh, there was time for a change, you know, at, at DC. They wanted to bring in new writers. They wanted to, you know, shake things up. <clears throat> and they didn't feel like I was part of that process, you know, that I would be able to contribute to that. And I didn't feel like I wanted to, uh, suffer the fools that I saw around me. <laughs> and, that's, and they really weren't. You know, they weren't fools and, and you know, they had their own perception. And uh, It was kind of an unfortunate blow up when you come down to it. So I left first as editor. They took, they, they fired me as editor on Firestorm uh, and replaced me with someone who uh, was really there just to be a, uh, a caretaker uh, and not really interfere with the book creatively but it it that started unraveling for me my commitment to the material and then uh, uh, you know the work suffered and ultimately they were they felt I should go and I felt I should go so I went <laughs> right. Well, you certainly had a very successful career after you left the comics field. Oh yeah, it was actually the absolutely the best thing that could have, could have happened to me uh, because it, it got me out of a rut that I had fallen into, and it, it changed my it changed my approach to my work as a writer. Uh, it uh, I had a couple of really dark years where I was very unhappy, uh, but once I got out of that. And recommitted myself to my work. You know, uh, things really improved uh, in a dramatic sense. So, it was not fun at the time, but like many things, you know, uh, when a door, as they say, when a door closes, another one opens. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I know it, in, in my own experience, there's certain things that have not been fun I've had to go through. But on the other side, it 
it was better that I went through the experience. Oh, absolutely. Well, as, uh, what was it, uh, it's either Hemingway or, or Nietzsche who says, that which does not kill you uh, makes you stronger. Uh, absolutely. And uh, this was an unpleasant experience. It, it, you know, it, it converged with a lot of other unpleasant experiences. <laughs> but once I, you know, once I got through them, you know, I mean, there's a sense of uh, uh, empowerment, you know, in, in that you realize you can survive uh, anything. So, and if you don't, well, that's the way it is, you know. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> if you survived this, you know, it raises your, your sense of confidence in yourself that you can survive other things. Well, um, assuming, let's just kind of play hypothetical. Assuming some of those things that happened to you towards the end of your run in the series hadn't come to be. We know every character evolves as time goes on. Are, what, what changes in, uh, do you think you would have made to the Firestorm title if you'd stayed around? I don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I was pretty happy with the dynamic that was there, so I don't know that I would have changed anything as dramatically as it was changed uh, by other writers. Um, I think just as they're trying to bring back at DC now the, the iconic characters of the 60s, you know, as, as the main versions of the characters that are, are uh, uh, out there for fans to follow... I think DC took the character in directions that was not necessary to go in order to maintain his viability. Mm -hmm. I, I, I never read any of the, the Ostrander issues, you know, where he became this supernatural force of, of some kind. So I really can't speak about it. But I, I know that <clears throat> I didn't think it was a good idea uh, – well, I, I figured if you're going to kill off Firestorm as they wanted to do at one point, killing off Ronnie Raymond made sense. But if you're going to bring Firestorm back, how can you bring him back without Ronnie Raymond and the Professor? Because that's who they are. <laughs> that's right. who he is. So I don't really quite get, you know, the new take on him. And I'm I'm hopeful that you know maybe when they they uh, when the dust settles from the Blackest Night storylines, you know that that will. Uh, uh, be one of the characters that they bring back to its iconic uh, form, but who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pry, but have they told you? Nope. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I do know. I do know that their intention, and I, I can't imagine that this wouldn't be true for for Firestorm as well. Uh, that their intention is to bring all of their main characters back to the iconic versions, you know, the, the Hal Jordan, the Barry Allen, uh, you know, and so on, you know, the, the, rather than, you know, the, the uh, variations that have occurred over the years. So sure. I guess, you know, that would make sense to me, you know, if you're going to do it with, the, with these other characters, I mean, Firestorm is a fairly popular character for them now, uh, you know, if not in his own title, at least, you know, uh, as a... Uh, as a character, you know, that's used, you know, in, in a variety of ways, I think they'd be more successful with them that way. But I'm a cons I'm conservative in my love of characters. I don't like to. I mean, I, I am the guy who killed off Gwen Stacy, yes, but <laughs> I actually prefer to see characters uh, in their iconic forms. You know, I mean, uh, unchanged. So I don't think I would have changed Firestorm in his fundamental dynamics, but I would have changed things up around him, you know, as time went by. I think um, with the Jason Rush 
version of Firestorm. I think it, it took them a long time to sort of find their feet there. And Stuart Moore had, had a decent run on the book that um, I don't think he was intentionally trying to mirror what you had done, but there was definitely a lot more of that spirit of, of the Firestorm character you had had there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that was probably when people began to embrace him more. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's got to be fun. I mean, he's not a character that can be dark because he's exactly. bright red and yellow. <laughs> <laughs> and his head's on fire. <laughs> and his head's on fire. And he's fundamentally silly. <laughs> so if you can't embrace that, then don't do it. You know, that's my attitude. You know, don't, don't, don't change. I mean, I, I, I find that it's so it, – it's a mentality that's, that, that was uh, prevalent among people who were writing the film versions of, of superhero characters for a number of years before – say, uh, the first X-Men movie came along. Mm -hmm. These people, for whatever reason, could not embrace the character as written. So they would try to change them and make them more something that they themselves could relate to. Well, honestly, if you don't want to do the character, then don't do the character. Do something (laughs) else. You know, just don't write. If you don't want to write Batman, don't write Batman. (laughs) Do something else. Uh, so I don't get it, you know, when, when, when I think comics went through a period in the, in the late eighties through the, through most of the nineties where, where there were a lot of writers and artists who didn't want to do the characters and yet they had to do them. So they would just basically not do them. (laughs) They would do other characters, other other versions, you know, and it's like, yeah, so don't do that. It's my attitude. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that for the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon, they've recently announced that Firestorm's going to be on there, and the mix will be Jason Rush with Ronnie Raymond as the uh, sort of onboard Jiminy Cricket. That's funny. So that's interesting to see. Uh, I don't know if that's tied to what they're going to do in comics sort or not. Of but blind I'm leading the blind, but, you know, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're trying to reverse the dynamic you created is what I read. They're trying to go with this – because Jason's – they've kind of built him up as kind of a book-smart college right. – you know, chemist guy. So they're trying to put the reverse, the dynamic of Jason, the, the smart guy, in control of the body with the the more action oriented. I have to t- I have to tell you, I don't think that works because the whole point is that the person giving advice has to be giving the good advice, right? That is being ignored by the person who is in, who is acting. You know, because otherwise, you, the dynamic is. The smart guy's in charge, so he's going to do the smart thing, and the other guy is just going to say, don't do that, and then he looks like an idiot. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's much more fun if the guy who's in charge doesn't quite know what he's doing. That's me. I mean, but that's my take on it, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, I'm biased in, you know, in in perceiving my own stuff as brilliant. (laughs) But there's a reason. There is a reason why the character, you know, has some, uh, has some legs. Because I think all the good all the good superhero characters to to one degree or another tap into something that uh, uh, is basic inside us, you know, either some wish fulfillment or some understanding of ourselves. And what I thought I tapped tapped into with with Ronnie was the uh, firestorm uh, was the uh, the pain of growing up, you know that. And the difficulty of growing up, where you're a teenager, you're feeling all this incredible power in yourself, all these potential things that you can do, but there's this outside presence, you know, that says to you what you can and cannot do. 
and what you should do and how you should do it. And it always seems to know best, but doesn't really, you know, let you be yourself and so on. So there, that's the dynamic, you know, that, that I thought I tapped into with that. Uh, and that's the iconic version of the character that I think if they really want to be successful with him, that they're going to have to find a way to get back to. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to do that because there's been a lot of damage done over the years. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think that really did sum up. It sums up a, a good core of his essence there. It really is a, a I mean, you created him. Of course, you, you have a good handle on him. I'm sorry, but I just, that's, that's a really good summation. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, you know, it's, a, it, it's not that I knew that I was doing that because I, 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 I'm a fairly instinctive writer, but what ends up happening for me is that I can look back on material and say, oh, that's what that was. Uh, you know, it's like part of that is what I was trying to get across in the Animal Man miniseries was, mm. you know, how when, when you look back on your life, you ask questions that, that uh, you would not have asked while you were going through it. And sometimes the answer is simply the question, you know, that you're asking. Um, in the case of uh, a firestorm, you know, it's like it's pretty clear to me what makes him appealing to a reader. Uh, but you know, they've they've messed it up somewhat <laughs> over the years, <laughs> and I, I would hope that they find a way to, to get back to it. I mean, it doesn't have to be Professor Stein. You know, I mean, it could be a different, older. I mean, make it an older woman for God's sake. You could do that. You know, uh, you could do any number of things with it, but. The dynamic, yeah. I always, yeah. I always thought Ray Palmer would be interesting. Yeah, Ray Palmer. I mean, you know, or exactly. Bring in some. If you want to bring in a, you know, a, a, an iconic DC character, you could do that. Uh, I personally rather see Ray Palmer as the Atom, but you know, and I think that's where they're going to go with that too. So yeah, it's you gotta you gotta just sort of accept that certain things work work for a reason. Uh, Batman works because Bruce Wayne had a horrible childhood. Batman as Dick Ra Dick Grayson as Batman, I don't think so. And it's and they're not and they're not going to do that. You know, I mean that that's just simply a way that, for them to stir things up so that you as a reader get angry and or you know disappoint or want to see something. And then when back when Bruce comes back, it'll be such a big relief, you know, that he's back. But you know, for the lesser characters, I think there's less. Uh, I don't know, less uh, weight given to, to the original interpretation. Well, obviously the character's been successful for DC. I mean, I, if you look at it, he's on T-shirts, and I'm talking about the Ronnie version. Yeah. Uh, he's on T-shirts, he's on pint glasses, he's been on the Super Friends. I mean, he, they've made yeah. a lot of money off this. Yeah. What's it like for you to see something that you created grow beyond your original involvement? Oh, it's a tremendous kick. I mean, uh I'm, I'm looking across my my uh, desk right now at uh, one of these glasses, you know, the uh, Firestorm glasses, you know, and it's fun. You know, my wife says, can we put this away somewhere? And I'm like, no, no, it's got to stay out. <laughs> my character. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking out of one right now, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I remember when, when DC first came out, when the first uh, Firestorm figure came out from uh, Hasbro, I guess it was, uh, relating to Super Friends, you know, because it was on Super mm -hmm. And Joe Orlando showed it to me, and I was like, because he had one of the uh, pre-production models of it, and it's, little, you know, the little tiny figure, and I was just like, wow, that is the coolest thing. Of course, 
there are tons of things that I've done now that are out, you know, in, in uh, models and uh, 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 action figures and uh, statues and so on. But that was that was a first, and it was uh, has always remained a, uh, a special place. Has always had a special place in my heart, uh, pre- precisely because of that. So I'm very happy. You know, it's like a proud parent. Uh, you know, but like any parent, you know, you have to let go of it and, and say, well, you know, you're on your own. <laughs> I'll go see what you're going to do. You, know. um, you mentioned the Super Friends. Um, first of all, I just want you to. I, I don't know if you've read anything about the action figure stuff over the years. I did some research on it recently. The Firestorm action figure from that run is actually regarded as one of the absolute favorites out of the run. Ah, just because okay. the design, the look, and it, it still remains one of everyone's favorites. So it, it's neat to me to see that it's uh, continue to be popular after all these years. And I have one mint in the box. So. <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> well, um, I, when I was looking at you on IMDb, you're credited as a writer for the Super Friends cartoon that season that Firestorm first appeared. What you know, was, uh, I didn't. I didn't write for it. I think that they, they, for whatever. I think I got a credit on it. Uh, you know, for the for the story, because uh, mm-hmm. they they adapted a story or something. But I didn't. I didn't write any scripts for Super Friends. Oh. I have no. I have no idea why they would. Why that would be that on there? I, I actually. I, I think I did an interview for the. Uh, for the DVD release, uh, mm-hmm. which I don't know whether they used it because I never look at the DVDs when they come out. You know that I've done interviews for because I hate looking at myself, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm always I'm always feeling like I'm going to sound like an idiot, you know. And it's like, oh, God, uh, the the only one that I've actually seen uh, is one I did for uh, for Iron Man of all things because I only mm-hmm. Iron Man briefly, but I knew that they were going to use it because they had my toys in the background, and I knew that this is just from a visual point of view, you've got to use that those figures you know you've got to you've got to do that use that interview because he's got the 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 big figure behind him (laughs) it was it was classic manipulation on my part (laughs) (laughs) well clearly it worked there you go so what can i say um, you've mentioned some other interviews that meeting Jeff Johns played a role in your returning to comics. Yes. Now, Jeff's currently doing big things with Firestorm and Blackest Night, like, like we talked about. Have you and Jeff ever talked about Firestorm specifically? And um, have you ever been consulted by writers that handled your characters after uh-huh. you? Yeah, well, the, the answer to the second one uh, first, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, and they really probably shouldn't, you know, because they've got to do their take on it. You know, just like I didn't ask Stan what he wanted to do with uh, Spider-Man. Uh, but I actually never talked. I don't think I talked to Jeff specifically about Spider-Man about, about Firestorm. But when we were when we met, which was at a uh, convention in Spain, uh, he was just starting. I think he was just really starting out. Uh, had when I say starting out, he'd been writing for a couple of years by that point, and obviously was well known enough that he was being invited to a convention in Spain. But <laughs> this was early on. He wasn't Jeff Johns yet, you know. Uh, he was the guy who was uh, uh, doing some J- JSA and some some uh, Hawkman stuff that was considered pretty cool. Uh, and Jeff, you know, was was kind enough to make uh, you know some very nice comments about my work, you know, about how he was an admirer of my stuff, you know. So I was flattered enough, you know, that 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 a young guy who's clearly you know on the rise uh, liked the work that I had done and, and was inspired by it to some degree that I, you know, 
started reading his stuff and then uh, started getting interested in comics again. Uh, but I don't think we spoke specifically about Firestorm, other than for him saying, I liked Firestorm, you know. <laughs> um, since so many of your creations, and we've talked, we've touched on this a little bit, but so many of your creations have lived on beyond your involvement. Have you ever encountered any challenges with creators' rights? Uh, well, the only challenge, I mean, I, I've never pursued it uh, because I, I know that it's a it's a lost cause. But, you know, I mean, obviously I'm uh, not happy about not getting anything on any of the material that I did for Marvel. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, it would have been nice to have, a, a you know, a credit on uh, the Spider-Man movie for the story that they, you know, semi-adapted. Uh, it would have been nice to have credits on the Punisher material. I will tell you an anecdote that I've told other people. There, there was no credit on the Punisher? Oh, no, really? no, none. I, uh, no oh credit. Gosh. No. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons I don't read, <laughs> I don't watch uh, DVDs that I've been interviewed for is that I did an interview for one of the Punisher movies. And when I picked up the DVD and looked at the back, you know, and they were talking about the uh, the the uh, uh, special material, you know, that's that's that's, that's included. Uh, they mentioned, uh, uh, oh God, I'm gonna, I'm blanking on his name, and that's not fair to him. Uh, the guy, uh, Gar uh, uh, Garth Ennis, Garth Ennis, right. yeah. They, they mentioned that they were they had an interview with with Punisher writer Garth Ennis, and I'm like. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not going to watch this because if I'm not being interviewed, you know, even though I'm the guy who created the character, that would be, and, and they are going to have a big interview with Garth, who, honestly, I don't think did for the character a good thing. Uh, again, we're talking about iconic characters. I mean, people walk around with the. I mean, the reason that 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 people walk around with Punisher T-shirts is not because of, you know, the the Garth Ennis version of Punisher which, while it was popular, you know, to a degree, was never as popular or as iconic as the one that, that Ross and I did, you know, and mm -hmm. that uh, Mike Zek did, you know, with, uh, I mean, it's, it's just not, <laughs> you know, I mean, and the movie was a disaster uh, right. because it followed that look, you know. I think the second, the, the War Machine uh, version probably did better for them financially, even though it was even, even weaker, you know, in terms of... Uh, uh, reviews, because at least there they were trying to go back to the Punisher. Uh, right. But be that as it may, uh, I I will tell you this one anecdote about about the Punisher. I was uh, after my divorce uh, in the late '80s, which you know I also I kind of uh, referred to obliquely, you know, in in, in that conversation about uh, hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, I was. <clears throat> Starting out, you know, once I started uh, writing TV and film, uh, I started dating, you know, and uh, I'd been dating actually before that, but I started dating people who were in the business. And one of the women that I dated was, was an agent working at, uh, I think it was uh, ICM. And she and I, you know, sort of encountered each other a couple of times and we decided we, we'd go out to dinner, you know, and one of those get to know you kind of things. And I was still feeling kind of, you know, sensitive about life, you know, and I was still semi-bitter, you know, at that point. Uh, probably not in a good mood to be dating anybody. But we're sitting there, and we're, so we're, we're doing that 
what are you what are you up to kind of conversation you know where you're where you're trying to see if you have any connection and in an effort to sort of like uh, make a connection with me she said oh you know uh, our agency is representing an actor uh, who's up for a part in a uh, in a, a, a comic book based movie and I said oh really you know wh- who's the actor he says oh it's Christopher Lambert I said Christopher Lambert I love Christopher Lambert you know to a degree mm-hmm. he's fine uh, she said yeah he's up for this movie about this guy whose family gets killed and he uh, you know, goes on this rampage, killing the mob, uh, and uh, you know he's uh, he's. I was saying, and this is a comic book based character, and she says, yes. <laughs> I said, is it like a Marvel comic book based character? And she says, yes, yes, it's a Marvel character, the, the Punisher. And I blew up because this is the first that I had heard of it. And I went into like a 15-minute rant about these bastards, you know, and how they did this. You know, <laughs> and the woman is sitting there, you know, with her eyes getting wider, and she's backing slowly into a corner. And I don't think the rest of the date went very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't imagine you had a second there, Jerry. No. <laughs> but I've got, I'm pretty much over that, you know. I mean, by this point, you know, it's like uh, that's ancient history now. Uh, and I've seen my friends, the ones who've tried to get uh, the rights back on their characters, you know, uh, it's been a financial disaster for them. So it's not something I would, I would ever pursue. Gotcha. Now, are you, uh, are you still credited when, um, as, uh, are you and Al still credited, uh, credited as creators when the Jason Rush Firestorm appears? You know, I don't know. I know I get a credit with, uh, with Power Girl, for example, I think. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know how that, I don't, I don't know. You know, they, they don't have to. They don't have to credit me as long as they pay me. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's what. Really there you matters. go. That's, uh, well, you know, the I, 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 flattery is nice, but uh, you know, it doesn't pay the bills. But you know, right. always, happy, always happy to get paid. As a friend of mine used to say, you know, uh, applause is nice. Just throw money. Uh, <laughs> Gary Cohn, I spoke with Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin, creators of Amethyst and uh, Blue Devil, a while back, and they had very similar comments. <laughs> so, credit's nice, money's better. So, yeah, uh, I, I prefer so, both, but uh, you know, you can't get it. I have to choose. Now, um, you have a very active online presence. Uh, I'm very, I was very surprised when I when I realized how. You've got your fingers out there in a lot of places. I mean, your blog, Facebook, Twitter. Have you found that technology has changed uh, the way you approach your writing? Well, it, it, the, the biggest change for me was was getting a computer uh, back in the uh, uh, early '80s when I, I I switched from writing on a Selectric, uh, an IBM Selectric typewriter, uh, to writing uh, on a computer. And you know, it's been. Uh, th- I mean, that was the biggest technological leap because it, it encouraged me to rewrite. I had developed the technique uh, as, a, as a writer of, of producing publishable first drafts because I was, you know, I didn't want to have to rewrite anything. <laughs> so I was, I was a very, very clean typist, uh, and uh, my material generally, you know, looked presentable. So that's how I did it. Problem with that, of course, is that you don't have time to reflect and to, to uh, reconsider and to, to rework. So, getting a computer and, and working uh, in that format, uh, you know, has been a, was a, was the biggest change that I've encountered. Uh, the other big thing is uh, email has opened the door for me with uh, 
presenting my ideas in a more coherent form because I, I'm not comfortable talking on the phone with editors about ideas because uh, I'm a writer. You know, that's how I express myself uh, best, and that's really, you know, the, the easiest way for me to do it. Uh, so, you know, that that's also helped. Now, as far as as far as Twitter and Facebook go, I mean, that's that's been very helpful to me. Uh, in in things like this, you know, where where I'll get uh, uh, responses from fans that I, I you know I've not really been in touch with or uh, heard from, and uh, uh, that's inspiring. You know, I mean, that's that's uh, it's a it's a, it's a it presents me with a nice feeling and gives me an encouragement to move on. You know, to go uh, to, to to keep at it, as it were. So I use it as a like as a psychic support mechanism more than as a self promotion tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't uh, feel I don't feel like I need to promote myself. You know, that's uh, not that I not that I I I'm adverse to it. I'm just you know I don't I'm not I'm not the kind of person who likes to put themselves out there per se for uh, for attention, which is part of my problem. I think many fans have been clamoring for a collection of the early Firestorm issues, you know, maybe an archive edition or a showcase presents. Have you heard anything from DC? Are they considering anything like that? Uh, I haven't heard anything about it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I mean, I know that they're going to eventually reach the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, showcase issues of, of, of JLA that I wrote, uh, you know, they're, they're in those big showcase yeah. books. Mm -hmm. So eventually they'll, they'll probably have to, respond to that in some way maybe they'll maybe they'll do it at that point uh i don't know i mean i, I don't think the character is is big enough for them you know i mean it's he's a popular character among a certain group of people but i don't think he's a breakout character that, and again i think it's because they took it away from the iconic version but that's me <laughs> yeah um <laughs> uh, I, I just look at some of the showcases they've done, and uh, and I realize sometimes it's to coincide with a miniseries that's similar or whatever. But some of them are just been out of left field. It's like yeah. what metamorpho? I, I mean, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> when when the when the first Metal Men, I mean, I know they're out again now with Doom Patrol, but when the first Metal Men came out, I mean, I bought it, I loved it, but it was like, really? Is, is someone yeah. besides me going to buy this? Well, Dan Didio is a big fan of the Metal Men, so there's that. Uh, true, I, very true. That's 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 a I think a, a major part in that uh, decision. Um, if you were asked, would you be interested in writing for Firestorm again? Sure, I actually would uh, would love it. You know, I mean, as long as I could bring it back to my interpretation of it, you know, or bring it, mm -hmm. to, you know, I mean, again, updating it so that it's uh, that it's contemporary. It doesn't have to be the same thing, but it but it should be the same dynamic. Uh, but I don't know, you know, I'm. I remember when they were talking originally about bringing the character back uh, about six or seven years ago. Somebody, you know, said to me, "Would you be interested in doing something with this?" You know, and, and I said, "Sure." You know, and I wrote a proposal for my take on it, uh, and never heard back. So hmm. I don't think that they're looking for my take, but that okay. that may just be my that may have just been then. Maybe maybe it's different now. Hopefully, things now with you. Uh being back involved with DC, hopefully that'll change. Yeah, I would like to think so. We'll see. What More are, things change, the less they do. <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what are some of the comics you're reading nowadays? Well, obviously Blackest Night. I'm following that. Uh, 
and the uh, ancillary books. Uh, I'm also reading the uh, Superman Action Comics uh, New World uh, New World of Krypton uh, series. Uh, I read Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. I mostly read I mostly read on a monthly basis. I mostly read DC, but I also read uh, collected editions of, of Marvel stories. You know, like the uh, uh, the Ultimates and uh, uh, some stuff by my, uh, uh, Brian Michael Bendis uh, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, looking back at the work you've amassed, what are you most proud of, and what do you consider a high point, both personally? and <clears throat> Well, uh, well, I think I'm probably most proud, honestly, of the of the uh, uh, several years that I wrote Spider-Man. <coughs> Excuse me, and that uh, as a creative high point, you know, the uh, Gwen Stacy storyline was, pr- uh, and the subsequent Mary Jane uh, storyline in those books were uh, among my favorites. But I, but even saying that, you know, is probably being. More t- more specific than I than I really want to be. I don't. I, I was saying earlier that that when I was writing Firestorm, I wasn't trying to write great individual stories. I was trying to write a series, you know, mm-hmm. of stories. Uh, so that's really true in terms of my career. That I don't think in terms of specific individual stories, and sometimes this is why it makes for awkward conversations with with fans because they'll say, "Oh, I really love this issue where you did X, Y, and Z," and I don't know what I don't remember because <laughs> I remember the arc of the character, the the arc of the story, uh, you know, that I was trying to tell uh, over a period of a year or two, uh, and not necessarily the individual story. Uh, I'm also extremely proud of the, the Firestorm material. I'm very proud of the Batman run that I did with uh, Gene Colan and Don Newton. Uh, I'm proud of uh, lots of, of different things. You know, I mean, I, I'm proud that I wrote uh, JLA for 10 years. Uh, I'm happy that I, you know, I had the opportunity to do that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to specifically say this particular part of my career, you know, is something I'm extremely pleased with. You know, it's all, I'm, I'm just pleased that I had a career. <laughs> you know, I'm happy that I, what I, I'll tell you what I'm proudest about is the fact that, that I can sit here in my office and look at my shelves of, uh, superhero, uh, uh, statues and see my characters, you know, see, uh, uh, 10 or 12 different characters that I, had a part in creating with artists and other writers. Uh, and then my kid can come in and say, you know, what's the story behind that character, dad? What's, you know, why did you do this? Who's this character? And, and I like that. I like the fact that I, you know, had these, uh, ha- have this, this, uh, legacy, you know, that other people can screw up if they want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, I mean, it's like uh, amazing to me. Uh, if you had told me when I was 18, 19 years old, you know, that uh, uh, 20, 30 years later, people would still be talking about a story that I was writing at that time just to get through a month, you know, I mean, that's pretty impressive. You know, I'm, I'm pretty impressed that that's the case. Uh, and I'm grateful, you know, uh, very grateful. So. Well, I can't, uh, I can't go without mentioning uh, your work on Justice League Detroit. <laughs> I, I 
heard you talk a little bit about it. I know it's sort of a love-hate affair you've had over the years yeah. uh, with different. Um, but I, I got to say that you mentioned the original intention. I guess was to bring new readers in and to create a jumping-on point and have a set of characters that weren't tied to other books. Right. And it totally worked for me. That was actually the first time I collected Justice League on a regular basis. Oh, uh, right. For that, for that very reason, because I, you know, the Justice, I've gone back and bought all the Justice League since then. But at the time, it was like you know, I know Superman's not going to die. But mm-hmm. vibe. Wait a minute. Let's see what happens to him. Exactly. I mean, the stakes were raised to a degree. At the same time that we brought the stakes down to earth, you know, by by taking it away from uh, you know the satellite, you know, and uh, making the the stories less earth shaking, shall we say? Uh, but they became more personal, which is something that I wanted to do. And uh, uh, as you say, you know that that there was a vulnerability, you know, to these characters that that wasn't there. F- with characters who had other ongoing titles. You know, you knew that every month there was going to be another Flash comic, so the odds were that there was not going to, nothing terrible was going to happen to the Flash in JLA. Uh, but as you say, Vibe existed only in the JLA, so anything was possible. And probably it's a good thing that he only existed in the JLA. <laughs> we had some friends of mine and I, we had some fun this year on uh, April Fool's Day. Uh, obviously, I run the, the Firestorm blog. There's a gentleman out there who runs, a, I don't know if you're aware of it, a Justice League Detroit blog. And uh, there's a few other blogs out there. But we, we all conspired together to pull an April Fool's, ho- uh, April Fool's hoax online. And we all published stories about um, Vibe Rebirth by, <laughs> Je- by Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Skyver. We had artwork. We had fake interviews. I mean, Jeff Johns and Skyver both came back and responded. I thought it was funny and everything. But uh, we, we, got, we got the word out there pretty far, so it was, yeah. it was fun for us. It's always interesting to me what, what, what people remember fondly. I mean, I think part of the reason that, that, that you remember it fondly is because it hits you at the right age. You know, yep. uh, other other people who are fa- fans of JLA who had been reading it for a number of years, <clears throat> they came into it and it was like, "What are you doing to my book?" Uh, you know, so it was not well received by the current by the readers who had been passionate about the book up to that point. You know, so to the readers who had never read the book or who were less passionate, it was probably more successful. Uh, so. Well, if you hadn't if you hadn't taken the chance you did, it's certainly I mean there's no denying you cleared the way for Justice League International sure. and everything that came out for them to be able to come in with new characters. And if you hadn't taken a risk with new characters, they wouldn't have been able allowed to either. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, the book didn't didn't go as well as I'd liked it to have gone, and I, I I take some blame for that. But I also think that editorially we were not given the support that the book got when Keith took it over. Because Keith was able to come in, and it was like a fresh wind blowing. For me, it was like the old wind trying to blow, you know, a different, you know, from a different direction. And I don't think they really felt like I could do it. So they weren't. uh, I don't think they were as supportive. Uh, I mean, they certainly didn't give me the editor that I I want uh, that I could have used. Uh, But you know, this life, (laughs) it all moves on. So if you had whatever choice you could pick out of the sky, what would your dream project, comic book project, be right now? Oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, honestly, uh, <clears throat> I think what I'd like to do, if, if I could, is to be given the reins of a, uh, if not a mainstream character, maybe you know a second-tier character, 
and just allowed to run with it for a while, you know, just to sort of let, give myself time to, to get into the material and, uh, you know, develop a feel for the character and, and take it somewhere. So, you know, doing a, doing a miniseries is, is fun. Uh, it's just, it's sort of like an appetizer for me. Mm -hmm. uh, the main course, as I say, is, is to take something and develop it over a period of a year or two. Uh, and see where it goes. But the odds of that happening these days with the way that they <clears throat> tie all the, all the titles into overarching storylines that uh, take precedence, it's really hard to see how that, you know, it's, it's hard for me to see how I could do what I did back in the 70s or the 80s, uh, the way that the, 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 the business is constituted today. You know, just, just to sort of take a character and run with him for a while. Right. Well, um, speaking of that miniseries, um, Last Days of Animal Man is being collected, isn't that right? That's right. It's coming out, I think, in March, uh, March or May, something like that, uh, as a uh, uh, you know, as a paperback uh, graphic novel sized book, which I've, which is great. That's, I, I got to tell you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I, was, I conceived it as a single storyline that could be done as a as a graphic novel so that so that's i'm glad that that's how it's going to be perceived or, pre or presented i i just want to say that that was such a great miniseries oh, i thanks there's a lot of i i listened to you talk a little bit about um the three-part acts and how you, you really structured it that way in, individually in the issues and within the issues and there's no doubt some modern comic writers could learn from your structure. Each story <laughs> had a very clear middle, beginning, end, and yet it flowed and it played overall well into the whole structure. I, and I realize uh, it goes back to the beginning of storytelling, but I just you did it so well. Oh, thanks. And, uh, and because it was written so well, it stood out in that way, and it's like, wow, this is this is the way a comic is, should be written. You know? Well, thanks. So I, I hope you have the opportunity to do more. And um, what I. I read on Twitter you said you'd sent in a couple of proposals. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm waiting still to hear <clears throat> what uh, what the response is going to be. Uh, you know, if, if those don't work, you know, I'll, I'll try something else. So uh, I, I'm fairly committed to, to doing at least something in comics. Uh, it's all going to be a matter of what do they let me do. <laughs> Remember the, uh, the film director, Alain René, uh, was asked, what kind of movies do you like to make? And he says, I like to make the ones they let me make. So. <laughs> I sincerely appreciate the time you've given me today. You obviously are the, the godfather and parent and uh, Firestorm, you know, guru, if you will. Um, and it, it means a lot to me to have a chance to talk to you, and I know it's going to mean a lot to the people that read the Firestorm fan site and get a chance to listen to you. And... Um, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's, uh, it's as I say, one of the things that I enjoy about, uh, you know, having an online presence is getting feedback from the fans. So, thank you. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble... They'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman, 
for friends forever. Yeah! Is it really him? Just ask Firestorm. Boy, oh boy, is it great to have you back. Hey, I'd say a little explanation is in order here. It's a long story. Oh, I think we have the time. I think we have all the time in the world. <laughs>